It's a really simple thing. If you believe in being more interested than interesting, then what you realize is, is that we need to search for how we're the same and appreciate how we're different. It's that simple. All of the social unrest can be solved if you're more interested than interesting. In other words, seek how we're the same and appreciate how we're different when you seek how we're the same. There's a difference between a dream chaser and a dream catcher. Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the grand pleasure of having David Messler with me today. David, how are things out in California? Oh, they're amazing. I was just commenting to my PR person, you know, with the football season being in disarray and it being 72 and sunny, it doesn't feel like it's December. So I got a little confused that we were at the end of the year, uh, but it's absolutely gorgeous and everybody's happy and healthy out here. Man, so super grateful that you you decided to come on the Dreamcatcher podcast and share with our listeners. I see the dollar sign in the background. It says money doesn't buy happiness. And this was the thing that got me so interested in. I've seen you on Andy Frisella and a bunch of other podcasts, even with my man, Ed Milet. And I was just like, man, I wonder if there's any way I could get David on this show because your story is so impactful. I I don't want to steal any of the thunder. Can you give us kind of the inception story and how you arrived at that lesson? Yeah, absolutely. So my whole journey revolved around money. And the reason was, is I grew up poor. I always joke around when I'm speaking around the world. You know, I ask people who here grew up poor. Half the people always raise their hand. And then I'd say, you know, I feel sorry for the rest of you because you can't learn the lessons of poor. You got to live the lessons of poor. And I lived the lessons of poor. So money to me became the only thing missing in my life to provide me happiness because I had an extraordinary mom. She raised six kids. She worked two jobs, packed my dinner in a paper bag almost every night. I had bologna on Wonder Bread with, with mustard. That was my gig almost every night. A good night out to eat for us was sharing two large french fries in a bowl from McDonald's. That was like going to Mastro's or you know the finest cuisine in, in my childhood. But I wanted to buy my mom a house and a car. I told myself since I was five years old and my dad left that I'd make a million dollars. And with that million dollars, I'd buy my mom a house, a car, and I'd retire. And so I had a relationship to money that had bought happiness and love. And through my journey, I ended up being a millionaire nine months out of law school, buying my mom a house and a car and learning that a million dollars was not going to be enough to retire on as well, by the way. I was 24 years old. So, And here's the weird thing about me. Everything in my life from that time on actually reaffirmed that money buys happiness and money buys love. I, when I bought my mom the house, you know, I was her favorite child. She, it seemed like she loved me more. I actually even married my dream girl who hated me growing up in the fourth grade. Uh, I met her in sixth grade. I threw an egg at her at sixth grade camp because she uh, wouldn't go out with me. Uh, my friend asked her and he embarrassed me. But I sold my company, the first company I worked for, it sold for $3.4 billion in 1995. 
nine, by the time 1999 came, I was CEO of the world's first smartphone. But everything in my 20s just reaffirmed money buys love and happiness. But by the time I was 32 and running the phone company, that's where I started realizing that I was empty. You know, I built a huge home. I had a Ferrari, boats, ski mount. I had everything. And I had never been so sad in my life. And I surrounded myself with the wrong people, the wrong ideas. I went from, I always tell people, I went from living in a world of not enough where I was a victim. Everything was, why me? Why do they have that? Why can't I have this? Why me? To a world of just enough where everything was for me and money bought love and happiness. I bought things I didn't need uh, to impress people I didn't even like. And then uh, what happened was I was empty. And uh, I realized I had lost the most important thing, which were the values that my mother taught me, uh, these values that I grew up with, the values of gratitude, forgiveness, and accountability. And through three reminders, I was blessed while I was running the most notable sports agency in the world, Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment. Most people know Lee from the movie Jerry Maguire. When I was running that firm, I had a series of events that changed my life to remind me that money does not buy love. Money does not buy happiness, but money is important because it allows you to shop. And if you shop for the right things, you'll be happy. If you shop for things you don't need to impress people you don't like, you'll have misery and bankruptcy. I lost over $100 million through this lesson. Was capable through those values, though, to gain it all back and more to empower over a billion people to be happy and live this mission that I'm living now. Wow. So I don't want that to just slip by. You lost over 100 million and made it back. I don't know many people that can say they've done that. So with that mission, I know you're doing something on Fridays where you're sharing some messages with folks. So let's talk about that a little bit before I go into some of the other questions. Yeah, that'd be really nice. Thank you. So for over 20 years, I've been training people for free. Uh, It started just as straight sales training to empower people to make more money, help more people and have more fun which is my motto. It's also part of being happy. And what I've done over these years, over 20 years now, is create one of the most popular free trainings. And we do everything from sales training to pitch training to ultimate ego training to don't lie to yourself training to mentoring training. Uh, So it's pragmatic and also very spiritual and inspirational. And uh, it it, it varies, but we've been doing it over 20 years. I actually have over 20,000 people registered. And you also, all of them are featured on my podcast called The Playbook every Monday on Spotify. There's a playlist of all my trainings featured on Entrepreneur Magazine, Entrepreneur Media, featured on every platform. So, you know, I give my exercise, my guides, my books for free. I give my personal email, david at dmelter.com to join me for free for the books, guides, exercises, and training anytime, david at dmelter.com. Beautiful. That's very generous of you. But I guess if you can record it, then you can touch a lot of people instead of having to do one on one on one, which allows you to scale and get maximum benefit or maximum reach. Right. Exactly. Okay. And so you've got I I like sound bites and you got a bunch of them. So I'm going to try to get through as many as I can in the limited time we have. And the first one is be more interested than interesting. Let's talk about that a little bit because I was just tickled the first time I heard you say it. That changed my life. You know, I went into be a doctor. My mom had a saying, you know, doctor, lawyer, or failure. So when I realized I couldn't be a professional football player, which I realized, by the way, when Christian Okoye ran me over in college 
and I'd laid on my back and I'm like, doctor, lawyer, failure. So I thought I'd be a doctor. I was 18 years old, pre-med. I visited my oldest brother who was a doctor. And I told him, as I met him, I'm like, dude, I hate hospitals. He's like, what are you talking about? You're pre-med. You hate hospitals. I go, I'm going to be a sports doctor. I'll be on sidelines and locker rooms. I'm not going to be on hospitals. And he looked at me and he gave me that line. And it's a a special line because it changes my life every day because I'm constantly trying to be more interested than interesting. And even furthermore, my (laughs) oldest brother has passed away. So it just reminds me of him as well. And it reminds me that nobody, nobody is uh, separate, that we're all connected, that one branch would not go to war against another branch. And we need to be more interested and find out what makes people tick. With the way that I put it, and you'll get this, especially with you know what the social unrest that we're going through, it's a really simple thing. If you believe in being more interested than interesting, then what you realize is, is that we need to search for how we're the same and appreciate how we're different. It's that simple. All of the social unrest can be solved if you're more interested than interesting. In other words, seek how we're the same and appreciate how we're different when you seek how we're the same. Got it. Got it. So that commonality is what allows us to get things done, right? It's the thing that moves us forward. And the division, before I go there, I think we're more alike than we are different, regardless of our background, regardless of anything, we're more alike than different. And so it's not really hard to find something that's the same and then move from that commons place to wherever we want to go. You agree? Yeah. And appreciate it, right? So find the light, the love and the lessons and appreciation add value to the differences. Beautiful. So every wealthy person I talk to says something along the lines of like, I don't believe in work. Right. And you said it. And then there's some more to it, which I think is super important. So I'll let you finish the rest of the sentence because people will be like, what are you talking about? I don't believe in work. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. First of all, I don't believe in work. I believe in activity. I believe that everyone has 24 hours of activity and there's activity you get paid for and activity you don't get paid for. And, you know, the word work has connotations of difficulty, challenges, et cetera, which means you haven't learned the greatest lesson that I have, which is the same percentage of your life, Jerome, sucks as much as mine. I've been around every celebrity, athlete, entertainer, millionaire, billionaire, and uh, entrepreneur, and all of them have one thing in common. A certain percentage of their life sucks. The difference is the highly successful ones, the compassionate ones, the purposeful ones, the profitable ones have learned to love what they do. They've learned to love their activity. They've learned to find the light, the love, and the lessons in the suck. And uh, so for me, uh, I believe work would be a perception. There's only activity. I try to maximize the activity I get paid for. I tell a story to prove this. You know, I wanted to play second base for the uh, for the Padres. And I went, my, my old business partner owned the San Diego Padres. So I went to him and I said, hey, look, I'll give you $2 million if you let me play second base. Not only will you make $2 million, but you'll save $2 million because you're paying that kid $2 million to play second base. And I can guarantee you one thing, you're going to end up in the same place that you did last year, which was last place. So, you know, what's the difference? Why not save the $4 million and we'll get some PR and I'll get to go ahead and have activity that I paid for, right? Activity I paid for that that guy called work. (laughs) 
You're a deal maker, man. There's no question about it. Will you tell the listeners about the deal you made with the watches? Because I thought that was just phenomenal and just ingenious. Yeah, you know, so after I lost everything, I took a step back and I said, how do people really make money, right? Like, I wasn't worried about making money. I made a million dollars nine months out of law school, knowing nobody, knowing nothing and having $100,000 of law loans. So to come out of bankruptcy with all the knowledge I had and all the relationships, I'd always been kind to people. I was just stupid with my money. I gave it away to the wrong people, trusted the wrong people, didn't vet, you know, didn't vet people. I always trust everybody. Then I vet. That's my new rule. But, you know, for me, I looked at things. I said, you know, how people really make money is they buy low and they sell high. And because of the Internet, you can actually not only buy low, but you can predetermine what the thing's worth and how quickly it'll sell because of all the different sales platforms out there. So I was going around to all the richest people that I had met in my career saying, dude, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? Somebody needed, you know, millions of dollars of watches. And you know, I'll just use round numbers. You know, they said, I got, I, I got $10 million to buy these watches. I said, oh, I know the CEO of that company. Let me go ahead and see if I can buy those watches. And uh, I went to him and he said, uh, well, how much do you want to pay? I said, 8 million. And uh, he came back and he said, I'll, you could do it for 9 million. And boom, I made a million dollars two weeks after I was bankrupt. So this is amazing, right? Most people don't understand that you get compensated for solving problems, right? You solve two people's problems and you got compensated for it. And wait, let me help people out there because they're going to be like, look, this is bullshit. This guy's rich. He just went to his rich friends and they hooked him up. Let me tell you what I still do for my 10-year-old son. So if you're sitting there saying, I can't do what Dave does, you probably couldn't have got that deal because you don't have the credibility I have. But you know what I do once a month with my son? I go to yard sales and garage sales when they open. In my name, I have a gated community. I go in, in the morning. I'm first one to show up. And we make a list of all the cool stuff that we like. Then we go home and we go online and we see how much is it selling for and how quickly does it sell, right? You can see from, from, you know, like a PS5, go look online and watch how fast a PS5 sells for 900 bucks, right? You know how it does. So what we then do, and my son's super cute. He looks like his mom, thank goodness. Uh, then what we do is we wait until the close of the yard sale or garage sale when, we, when the truth comes out about what people are selling. And the truth is 90% of the items that are sold at a garage sale, people would give away. They just want to get rid of, right? So we go, we pick the best items, whatever's left, we lowball them and sometimes get it for free even because he's so cute. And then we go home, take pictures, post them. We could average four or $5,000 a month for, you know, five, six hours of work. Whoa, that's real money. And that's not, I don't know anybody, you know, I don't, you, you know, if you take your nephew, if you don't have a son, (laughs) borrow a kid from big brothers, big sisters, split the profits, but uh, it definitely helps to have a kid with you. For sure. For sure. What's up tribe. It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15 point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. There's so many good things. I'm trying to squeeze it all in, guys. We're packing it in here. All right. So there was a point where you mentioned during this interview, you were worth $100 million. And you talked about the first million you made in the first nine months out of law school. 
how do you 100x your net worth? Well, I have a power of 64. And that's how I made the million coming out of law school. I looked at things in a mathematical way. I said to myself, all right, I'm going to beat people with time. So let's take the first million I made and you'll see how that expanded into the 100 or over $100 million. So what I did is I said, okay, most people are productive eight hours a day. I'm going to focus it on being productive 16 hours a day. Most people are productive at a certain efficiency. I'm going to be twice as efficient. I'm going to be twice. I'm going to practice this so I have twice as efficient. So my 16 hours become 32 hours. Then I'm going to be twice as statistical and successful. So if somebody makes two sales out of every 10, I'm going to make four sales out of every 10, which then gives me 64 hours of productivity. And then most people are productive five days a week. I have a consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential seven days a week. So in nine months, I had a comp plan of $250,000. In nine months, although I blew out their comp plan and they changed my, my money that I made, I actually wasn't a very good uh, salesperson because in the truth, if you take the amount of hours, 64 hours a day times seven is 56 days a week. I actually had activity I got paid for for 10 years. I squeezed it into nine months. And it, exponentially, you get better and better. So you know, if every nine months of mine is 10 years, and it also, you know, maybe in the next nine months becomes eight months, you get productivity because it keeps building like Einstein's you know, rule of 72. It, it's compounding on itself. So at the very least, you're twice as good every seven years. So basically, in the 14 years that it took from 28 to 38 to have over $100 million, you know, I doubled twice. But think about the hours of productivity that I put in. So all the lessons that were included, all the relationships that you build, all the different knowledge that you acquire, the skills that you acquire, you know, all those things accumulate. And I joke around, it may have sounded like a lot, but, you know, I probably lived so many lifetimes that when I died, God's going to come out and give a big celebration because I'll be the oldest person ever to live. <laughs> That's great. So was there sacrifice that had to be made in order to? Investment, my brother. Don't say sacrifice, people. If you have faith, if you have faith in what walks with you, if you have, don't, I don't see mountains in front of me. I, I see I'm walking with a person who made the mountain. Why am I worried about the mountain in front of me? I have so much faith that I invest in myself, right? There's no sacrifice. I don't make up some, that's a victim mentality, a to me story. You know, I, you know, sleep in the car. I, you know, I look that I had to study in law school. You know, I had to take out loans. I, I hear it from every entitled kid in the world still today. And I'm like, good. Then you're, you're somebody that's making an investment in themselves. If you're not going to invest in yourself, who the hell's going to invest in you, dummy? Like seriously, and I used to tell myself that all the time. I was eating, when I graduated, I, I wanted to pay off my law loan so bad because my uncle had co-signed them for me and he was going to be responsible if I couldn't. And it was a lot of pressure. I got $25 a day per diem from my company because I traveled a lot. And I would save that and eat peanut butter and jelly, right? Because I was used to eating dinner uh, in, in a paper bag. So I, I would save $175 a week and my mom and everyone, why are you sacrificing? You don't have to, you make so much money. Why are you sacrificing? Why don't you buy? I'm not sacrificing. I, I know I'm investing in myself and I believe in compound interest. 
And there's nothing I'd rather bet on or invest in than myself, because if you're not going to invest in yourself, what are you ever going to invest in? Got it. And so the place I was trying to go there was... No, 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 it's fine. Because I I think that's an important lesson and one that I haven't heard you share to date yet. I haven't heard you go down that path. So that's awesome. The, The thing I'm trying to get to is when you came home from the celebration with little John and your wife said X, Y, and Z, and I'm not still in that piece of the story, right? But it's like, if you're that intense and that focused on producing that outcome, it impacts other pieces. There's some collateral damage. And so let's walk down that path and the lessons you learned on that journey as we begin to land the plane. Yeah, of course. So three things that happened. One, my dad gave me a jacket for my 30th birthday, first president in 20 years, and it had no pockets. And he, I was furious at him. I said, why are you punishing me? He said, you need to learn that money doesn't buy love or happiness, that you can't take anything with you. You need to hang that jacket in your closet to remind you. And he said, I want you not to make the same mistakes as me. You're just like me. And I went off on him. I'm like, I'm nothing like you. You're a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, overseller, backend seller. I hate you. And I hung up. Two weeks before the Little John incident, I went. I was running the most notable sports agency in the world. Asked my best friend, Rob. He was the guy that asked my wife to go study for me at sixth grade camp. I said, dude, come to the Masters with me. We'll go to all the net jet parties. We'll go see Curtis Strange in the cabins. We have all, you know, every great, you know, Shannon Sharp. We have, you know, all these Wayne Gretzky. We'll, we'll party. Dave, I don't want to go with you. What? How can you? You, you dream to go to the Masters. He said, I don't like who you hang out with and I don't like what you're doing. And I told him, oh, come on, man. I'm not doing what those guys are doing. And he said, David, and this is where my training came from. You can lie to me, but don't lie to yourself. And then finally, I came home from lying to my wife. I'd asked her to go to the Grammy Awards with Little John, the rapper. And she said, no, you're not paying attention to the family. You're not paying attention to your business and you're partying way too much. You need to stay at home. I lied to her, said I had a business meeting, changed in the car. I came home wasted at 5.30 in the morning and my wife looked at me and the first thing, most people don't know this, the first thing she actually said to me when I came in is she's like, you, you are not a rock star. And I looked at her and I'm like, I may not be, but I sure feel like one. And she got so pissed and she basically, she said that she wasn't happy. She was going to leave me. I needed to take stock in who I was and what I wanted to become. And I went to bed furious. I wasn't ready to hear it. I told her to F off. How dare you say these things to me? I've done everything for you. Look around you. I got a Ferrari, a Porsche, a nanny living in there. What are you talking about? I wake up in the morning, even more upset, ready to call my lawyer because I'm going to take her happiness, her money. And lo and behold, I look into the closet and just like the movie, The Natural with Robert Redford, when the light shines down on his Wonder Boy bat, the light was shining down on that jacket my dad had given me. And I realized at that moment that I'm the liar, right? I'm the cheater. I'm, I'm the overseller, the back-end seller. I hate myself. I don't hate my wife. I don't hate my best friend, Rob. I don't hate my dad. I hate myself. And so I took a serious deep dive into introspective inventory and found those values that my mom taught me and started living the last 15 years with gratitude that gives me perspective, forgiveness, which gives me peace and certainty, accountability, which gives me control, 
which allows me to separate motivation from inspiration, but connect to everything and allow me to live my mission of empowering over a billion people to be happy, to do these free trainings, to give my books, guides, exercises for free. And that's where it all stems from. Those three things changed my life and my perspective and now have affected so many other people as well. That'll suck the air out the room. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, it's amazing. So we're coming close to the, the top of the conversation. And there's a couple of things I want to pull out, just kind of rapid fire, if, if you'll yeah. indulge me a little bit. And the first thing I want to do is ask, so I've heard you say on a couple of occasions that I didn't feel worthy for the things that I had. Was that all in the same two-week period, or did that happen before when things started to unravel? I think always, right? From feeling less than, not enough, in a world of not enough, and then lying to myself in the world of for me. I never felt worthy until I became grateful, forgiving, and accountable for who I was and illuminating all the strength that I had, but as well as the weaknesses that I had. And, you know, the great lessons of life for me is my greatest fear was to go bankrupt. I had defined myself as Midas. I had defined myself by my bank account. The better the deals were, the more the bank account had, the happier I was. And my biggest fear was to go bankrupt, to have zero in the bank and zero assets. And I did that. And I learned the greatest lesson of unconditional love and to remove my judgments and conditions that I would no longer define myself by my bank account. I would define myself of what I allowed to come through me. So receiving change. It used to be I give to receive, which was a trade or a negotiation, just like everything else in my life. Like you said, Dave Meltzer is a deal maker. I was dealing in, in, in humanitarian philanthropy. Now I receive so I can give. I know that I came from nowhere. I'm now here. I'll end up nowhere. I have a jacket with no pockets for a reason because my purpose in life is to allow everything to come through me in a world of more than enough, not just enough or not enough, but to come through me. I'm here to give my life away. And the more that I have to give, the more I can give away. And so that's the ultimate generosity, right? I mean, that's the, the self-attainment or what we call in our model significance, right? When you can positively impact the lives of others, that's when you're actually living and living out your purpose. And so I heard you say, I have an unconscious competency to attract money one time. Yeah. What, what does that mean? So I think people don't pay attention to what they're born with and it can be good and bad, right? Like there's certain addictions like nicotine addiction is something that's born into me. It's an unconscious competency. It's part of my quantum memory, a hard drive that's been handed down from four generations that creates a frequency or an energy or, you know, that draws from, I believe in three laws, law of gravity. You got to believe in that because that means everything's going to come to you. Right. And then a law of Goya, the law of Goya is get off your ass. You got to do something and move. And then you have the law of attraction. Well, the law of attraction comes from a beacon of your unconscious competency, which is an aggregate of your characteristics, your personality traits, your obsessions and addictions. I was born with a money-making frequency. I, you know, would attract money. Just like, you know, LeBron James was born with a higher frequency of how to play basketball than Dave Meltzer. I could, LeBron James all day long could, you know, practice something and not be as good as Dave Meltzer. And I could practice basketball every single day, all day long and never be as good as him. That's what I was blessed with, this unconscious competency of attracting money. 
Beautiful. And so the last question, just to wrap it up, and I just want to tell you again, thank you so much for sharing with our listeners today is what's the one thing you want our listeners to take away from our conversation? Oh, my favorite, my friend, my greatest lesson. People ask me what I would tell my, you know, 12, 22, 32, 42, or 52 year old self today. Be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. So many people today, anxious, frustrated, angry, suicidal, all you got to do is do a good deed. It'll heal it so quickly. And, it, you know, if you can't find someone, go pick up trash, go clean up something, go help put something away, whatever it is, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. And I promise all things will come to you rapidly and accurately. So giving is the cure for everything, all suffering. David, this was phenomenal. I, r- I really appreciate the opportunity to share with you. And to our listeners, your dreams should be real. Until the next time, we'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.